Well, it's, as I say, it's, it's, it is very odd times um, at the moment. Uh, I didn't think I'd ever be standing in front of a group of people with masks on. But, um, so I'll keep this mercifully short. But this is one of the most glorious passages of Scripture that there is. Um, I, I was talking to Anna the other day, and I was saying, do you know, I don't think I've ever preached on Colossians in, in the 22-odd years since I started speaking. Um, I think it's really strange though, because I was reading this passage, it's so familiar. And maybe it's just one of those wonderful passages of scripture you just sort of know. But then I, I was looking back to some really old um, archives, and I discovered that actually the first ever time that I spoke, I spoke on this passage. Um, and it was 22 years ago at a very posh public school in Dorset called Sherburn School. And I went to see their Christian Union. And I was a very nervous 22-year-old, to work out how old I am now. Um, and, and, I, and I preached on this passage. And the interesting thing was, I was talking to a group of boys who were only probably seven, eight years younger than me. And the question was, how do you relate something like this uh, to, to, to a group of boys? Well, actually, the message of this passage is that it's not okay just to be religious. Actually, to be an authentic Christian, actually you have to take who Jesus is very seriously indeed. And it's fair to say that over the last 50 years, particularly in the West, we have seen a real decline, if you like, in, um, in, in standards. Um, we, were, we were probably all notionally a, a Christian country, pretty comfortably until the 50s or 60s. Certainly, Christian teaching was very prevalent in public life. But over the last 50 years, particularly since the 1960s, it's really, it's really, really deteriorated. In fact, there was a book that was recommended to my Barry, hello Barry, online today, um, by Melvin Tinker called That Hideous Strength, How the West Was Lost. And it talks about cultural Marxism and how effectively there's been this erosion of what were sort of Judeo-Christian values in society. And when I think that it was 22 years since I last preached on this, that, that's half the time since this whole thing really started. Because the question that this passage is posing today is, what is authentic Christianity? Because the Colossians had lost sight of what authentic Christianity was. Because we're left asking the question, why did Paul need to write this letter? Because to quote Bishop Lightfoot, who I'm sure you've all read, is this was the least important church to which any epistle of Paul is addressed. It was a minor church in modern-day Turkey that Paul had no involvement with at all. It had been founded by Epaphras, and Epaphras had reported back to Paul to say, there's some problems with this church, and you need to write to them to deal with this particular issue. And the issue was the age-old one. Now, I'm going to use a little illustration here that hopefully you will relate to. This here, does anyone know what this is? Can you rec recognise this? Want to say? Yes, it's, it's an iPhone. An iPhone 4, in fact. Now, does anyone remember when the iPhone 4 came out? It's probably about, I don't know how long ago, it was about eight or nine years ago. And this was the most amazing thing that anyone had ever seen. I mean, it's a beautiful piece of work. Beautiful in aluminium around the edge, glass back. This one's slightly cracked, ignore that. Um, but it's a collector's item now. 
Who wants an iPhone 4? Nobody wants an iPhone 4. In fact, I remember when the iPhone 5 came out and they said, all these phones are getting bigger and bigger, aren't they? Because we'd had a period of years when phones had got smaller and smaller. Do you remember that? I mean, I remember one comedian said they were going to get to the size of a paracetamol before everyone was happy. And now they've suddenly got a lot bigger all of a sudden. But there's this concept with human beings is that we're never happy, are we? We're never happy. We always want the, 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 the newest thing going on. And that was what was happening with the Colossian church. Because they had been seduced by this notion that somehow they needed more than Jesus. The false teaching that was going on was that actually human philosophy needed to be introduced as well. Perhaps some Jewish traditions needed to be added in. There was talk of the, the worship of angels. And at the heart of it was this almost exclusivity of, of mystery, secrecy, and superiority. They needed more than Jesus. In essence, they were adding to the work, the person and work, of God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. But the problem with this, of course, as soon as you start adding to it, you went, when you start adding Jesus plus, that has the effect of relegating Jesus from his rightful place. And just makes him alongside all the other prophets and religious leaders at all. There's nothing particularly special about Jesus if you go down this line. I was in Birmingham about a month ago. And I don't know if any of you have ever walked into Birmingham from New Street uh, Station. And there's always a a stand at the bottom of New Street by Waterstones where you've got uh, an Islamic group there. uh, And they're always very enthusiastically promoting Islam. And when I was walking past uh, a month or so ago, they were, uh, they were saying, there was actually a big banner out there saying, we regard Jesus really highly. It was really interesting. Jesus is one of our prophets, one of our better prophets. And, and it was this sort of seduction that, look, we're just as good as anyone else. Uh, and in fact, you know, and that was almost the problem that the Colossian church was getting to. Jesus was just one of another number of things that they, they were doing. So, uh, it's my prayer and my heart today to you to, to look at this passage. If you've got it in front of you, do open it, have a look at it. it I, I humbly would submit, I think it's one of the most glorious passages of Scripture. And it's my prayer today that, that this isn't just a head knowledge, that actually this impacts your heart. So go away today, not just having examined it, thinking, well, that's a nice thing about Jesus, but actually allow it Pray for it to influence your heart because it's the most glorious description of Jesus that you'll find almost anywhere in Scripture. Because Paul asks this simple question in this passage of Jesus. Who do you say I am? And bear in mind, it's written by Paul. Now, Paul was not some sycophant, some guy who um, you know, had, had always been brought up in Christian traditions and was talking about it. This was a guy who used to persecute Christians, who literally had to have, and I can confidently say this, a road to Damascus conversion in order to be persuaded to become a follower of Jesus and had a personal encounter with Jesus. An incredible privilege in many ways, but a complete convert to it. So what does Paul say? Well, we start in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Wow. Well, where do we start with that? God comes to earth in human form. Not a copy, not a facsimile, the actual image 
of the invisible God. By meeting Jesus, we meet God. Think of that for a moment. God, invisible, up to this point in history. Unknown. No one ever seen God at all. Clearly they knew him by talking to him, but, but, but actually having a relationship with him was very different. And then Jesus comes down to earth, and they meet God the Father. I mean, if you think of all the other religions, their icons, their images, their prophets, none of them claim to be God. And yet, here is God, in holy God, in human form. It, it's, in, in many senses, it's what the world is looking for. This authenticity, this relationship with God. And we'll come on to unpack that a lot more through this passage. The next thing, 15, second half of verse 15, firstborn overall creation. Now, I like the concept of firstborn because I am the oldest of four. And uh, this idea, this medieval concept of the um, primogenitor, come across this, where the first the born inherits most, most of the estate. You come across that at all? I like that concept. Um, in fact, if my parents are watching, which I don't think they are, unfortunately, it's a good concept. Uh, my siblings are, ignore it. Um, but, 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 but this idea that you, if you're firstborn, you get privileges. It doesn't actually mean that here. Um, it, it, what it actually means with firstborn, it actually means the one who is first in position, almost like in a, in a military sense, um, the first in rank, if you like. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses use this passage to actually say, well, Jesus is just a created being and not the creator. And we'll go on to see why that's wrong in a minute. But the point is, is that you don't actually get a higher authority than Jesus. Jesus is first and must be first in everything. And it's almost like when you get your north point. If you've ever been out orienteering or getting lost in the, in the woods or whatever, and you've got a compass. It's a great thing because you can actually work out where everything is in relation to it. And the truth is, in life, if you actually have Jesus as, as your centre, as your north point, everything else does start to make sense around it. Then we move on to verse 16. For all, all in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, through him and for him. Well, that does resolve the problem of the Jehovah's Witnesses, because everything was created through Jesus. So Jesus was the creator. So you know, where does creation come from? Well, the, the, the popular concept, of course, today is to say that um, it all sort of came out of a big bang, and uh, and there was no intelligent force guiding or behind it. But as those of who are fans of the sound of music will well know that nothing comes from nothing because nothing ever could. And it's very true. Because the reality is, and it says here in scripture, is that everything was created, and we're talking visible things, invisible things, everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. I I was talking to a colleague on, on Friday a new colleague, about one, actually one of the few joys that there's been out of this very strange time has been the opportunity to go out and experience nature. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I, I spend much of my time rushing back and forth from Birmingham, uh, running around at weekends, and get very little time to actually go out on nice walks. And, and one of the beautiful things about the last six months has been the ability to go out on lots of long walks. It helps to have a dog, obviously, um, 
but I'm not advocating that necessarily. You don't need to have a dog to go on a walk. Um, but, but actually, we live in a beautiful town. And there's some beautiful countryside out around this town. And that's just a glimpse of the amazing creation that Jesus was part of. And, and, and actually, the world around, when they see the beauty of nature, they're only getting the tiniest glimpse of the actual beauty of the creator themselves. Next, in verse 17, he is before all things. Very simply, Jesus is eternal. He's throughout the whole of history. He is eternal. Verse 17, in him, all things hold together. So that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because some have said that God created the earth and then was like an absentee landlord, just went off and left things as they were. But actually, it says here, in him things, all, all things hold together. He continues to sustain. God didn't just create and walk away. He continues to sustain his creation. Do you remember, uh, some of you, perhaps those of you who are in the UK, I don't know if it was the case for South Africa or other countries, the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Do you remember that? I see a nod over there. So it's clearly going on in Cape Town as well. He's got the whole world in his hands. I mean, it was one of those songs that you had to sing at school, probably infant school. But actually, theologically, that's a good song. Because it literally, God has got the whole world in his hands. And that means everything. So that means famines. That means wars. That means governments. It even means pandemics. God, through Jesus, has got everything in his hands. And we can have confidence if we have a relationship with the creator of the universe that we, are with, we have a relationship with the one who holds it all together. Verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. Now, um, the church is suddenly mentioned here. Now, it's very tempting on us as Christians to... To, 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 to dismiss the church and look at it as a frail human institution. And in many ways, it often is a frail institution, but actually, it's a key part of the purposes of God on earth. It's a body of which Jesus is the head. Um, I, I've spent uh, the last few weeks reading a book written by the author Bill Bryson called The Body. Uh, it's a great book, really recommend it. Um, but one of the, the big things I've learned from this book, I should have probably known it already, is that you can pretty much cut off any body part at all, apart from the head. In, um, if you cut off the arm, the body will continue to function. It won't be great. Lost an arm, cut off a leg. But if you cut off the head, you've got problems, I'm afraid. And, and so actually, what it's saying here is that in order for the church to function, Jesus has to be at its head. Um, and, and if we fail to, to recognise and make Jesus the head of it, if we could have put man in, in Jesus' place, this is where things do start to go wrong. Then verse 18, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is alive. It's, it's glory. He's conquered death. Why don't we just talk about this at Easter? It's, it's an amazing truth, isn't it? If you go to Israel now I, 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 and ask Pete, the guide, where is the tomb that Jesus, um, Jesus emerged from, they won't be able to tell you. I can tell you that because it's an irrelevance, quite frankly. Nobody knows where the tomb is. They've got theories, but nobody really knows where it is because he was only in there for three days and he's gone. 
anywhere else. You, you can go and ask where Muhammad was buried, or you can only ask where Buddha, Buddha is. Won't find a grave for Jesus because he's alive. He's risen. It's different to every other religion. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And this is arguably the most important thing of all. If you don't take anything else from this glorious description of Jesus today, this is why Jesus was killed. Because Jesus claimed to be God. There was, this was the creator entering the creation. It was almost the mic drop moment, this. Well, I don't recommend dropping mics, by the way, as somebody in charge of PA here. But, 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 but genuinely speaking, it is that this is the point at which Jesus shows that what he is proponing is different to every other religion because he is claiming to be God. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, we've only got to look at our world around, and it's a world that is full of conflict, isn't it? It's, it's full of conflict because of one thing, sin. And we know that the wages of sin are death. And Jesus died on the cross in substitution for us. And the cross, it says here, is capable of, recon- of creating that reconciliation. And this is the amazing thing, because it's very easy to die for someone. Well, it's not easy. It's difficult to die for anybody. But you might consider dying for somebody you really care about. But can you imagine dying for somebody who's an enemy of you? Because that's what Jesus did. We have an acrimonious relationship with God, but Jesus has reconciled it. So we come to the end of this glorious passage, and we're left with a question. Have you met the authentic Jesus as revealed by Scripture? Last year, I was, um, I was on a train, an earlier train than I usually get, coming back from Birmingham. And um, I sat down, and there was a guy who sat opposite me who opened a Bible. And I noticed on the spine of the Bible that it was a translation that I'd never heard of before particularly. So I said to him, how are, you, how are you getting on with that translation? And he looked at me rather strangely. He said, I've never read the Bible before. And I said, oh, I said, are you, are you not a Christian? And he went, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I said, oh, so you're reading the Bible. That's, 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 that's really good. And, um, and I said, well, what, what, what's prompted you to read the Bible? And he said to me, well, I've been to, I went to watch a musical in London, Jesus Christ Superstar. Not what I watched, but um, he, he, he said to me, do you know what it was, having watched it? I was intrigued by Jesus. And I thought, I want to read some more about him. So the best place to go is to look at the Bible. I said, it's great. So I said, um, so what are you making so far of the story of Jesus? And he said, well, I, I'm not very sure that it's all true, really, is it? I said, well, do you not believe that he existed historically? He said, well, I'm not... I'm, I'm trying to get my head around the fact he was a, he was a real person. And, I, and then I thought, well, I could spend the next 15 minutes to Coventry talking about that. But then, I, but then I thought, well, actually, the important thing to talk to this guy about is about a relationship. So I spent the next 15 minutes just talking to him about my own story and, and actually about how I became a believer and actually how having a relationship with Jesus 
and, and explaining actually how, how you could do that is really what this is all about. Because Christianity is not a, is not a dry religion. It's about having a relationship with a real and living saviour who, who's chosen to come down to earth to, uh, to, 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 to do that. So, um, and he said to me, just as I got off at Coventry, he said, thank you, I found that really interesting today. I have no idea what that guy will go on to do. But it was an interesting thing, and it led me to the conclusion that the truth is, as human beings, we are built for relationship. There's a world out there that is crying out for relationship. We've seen that through the pandemic. We've seen that people want to get back together. I went to my son's football match at lunchtime today and there were throngs and throngs of people there because people want to get back together. People want to be in relationship. And here we are offering a relationship with none other than the God of the universe. So we're left finally in verse 21 with this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour... And the truth is, our status was one of aliens. And yet God chose to reconcile us to him. And we see in verse 22 and 23, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. The greatest reconciliation of all has occurred. Because we are presented, notice the words, holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. We are washed, where it says elsewhere in scripture, whiter than snow. And yet we, wretched sinful human beings, are presented like that because of what Jesus did on the cross. And our challenge for this as Christians, and this is the final challenge I'm going to leave you with today, is actually how can we continue in this? Because it's a, it's a challenge, isn't it, the Christian life? It's a constant up and down battle. So what can we do? Well, firstly, we can regularly remind ourselves of the hope of the gospel and of heaven and the assurance of that and the glories and wonders and the good times with God, who is not a killjoy. So let's spend time in scripture. Let's spend time in prayer. If we're feeling distant, let's, let's reconnect and, 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 and spend time um, again with our saviour secondly work now with the, the, the Holy Spirit's power on being holy and blameless and above reproach and when you fail seek God's forgiveness because that's not to earn your place in heaven Christ has earned that place for you but it's because it is God's will and God's will is the best actually having a positive impact on those around us is an incredibly powerful witness. People won't always welcome it. But if you act with integrity and you show yourselves to be trustworthy, then the world will notice difference in you and they will ask what is different about that person. And then link to that, thirdly, help spread the hope of the gospel of Jesus as you can, individually or helping others. And remember, it's universal. It's been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. It's not just for one nation, but for all tribes and races and nations. Because there is a world out there that is crying out for truth. They're crying out for authenticity of relationship. 
A world that constantly hedges its bets, looking for that ideal, looking for that perfect friendship, that perfect marriage, that perfect relationship, that perfect retirement or or, or whatever. But they never find it. Because you can't find it. Because the world is fallen. The only true perfect relationship is that which is on offer from the creator of the universe, who came down to earth as a man. We can introduce people to the living God, and this will literally change their lives forever. Paul says finally, and this is the gospel of which Paul became a minister. And we're left finally with learning from Paul. Paul himself, who was an eyewitness of the risen Jesus, and is writing this to us in chains from prison. That's how much Paul cared about this church. He was willing to do that for them. And I find that really quite humbling today. So there we have it. We have a glorious picture of Jesus, reminding the Colossian readers that you don't need anything beyond Jesus. Jesus plus, there's no point. There's no point at all. It just relegates Jesus. But actually, great encouragement for us and great encouragement to the world around that actually we worship the true and living God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our time today. We thank you for the fact that, um, this reminder that um, faith in Jesus is enough because he is all sufficient. He performed a sacrifice for each one of us that we, we cannot begin to comprehend. We don't understand why you would want to come back into relationship like you did through the cross, but gloriously you did. And it's our hope and our prayer in this town that there are others who will come to see what true and authentic faith means. That they will come to know the living Jesus who is alive and can can change lives incredibly. Turn away from death into hope and to life. So be with us all as we go out today that we would carry this hope in our hearts and Pray particularly for those of us today who are feeling distant and are finding this hard, a hard message to take on board. Pray that through your spirit, you would help and equip them in particular.